Evening, everyone. I feel like maybe we should pray <laughs> before we start. How about that? Yeah, thank you, God, that you are here. Um, and I pray that our hearts are changed this evening. God, would you speak um, to us? Would you speak through me? Uh, and would we leave here looking more like you? Um, yeah, and wanting to pray and wanting to spend time in your presence. Amen. Amen. Yeah, good evening to everyone except my dad, who normally watches on the live stream and is obviously choosing the football over me. But, like, it's fine. I'm not angry about it or anything. <laughs> He'll watch it on catch-up later, so you'll see that, Phil, okay? Anyway, my mum might be watching now, I don't know. Um, anyway, awesome. Well, I'm happy to be speaking tonight about prayer. Um, it's something that actually God's been uh, speaking to me a, bit, a lot about lately. Um, so I'm really happy to be able to share my thoughts um, and what I feel like God wants us to hear this evening. Now, as humans, I'm, I'm convinced that we're designed to communicate with our Creator, to connect and engage with God and to walk with Him each day. There's this article uh, from 2016 which said that 51% of UK adults pray and it told this story of a man called Henry. And Henry is 64. He says that he prays every night kneeling by his bed despite not being religious. He says this, I worry about it quite a lot. Is it some kind of an insurance policy? Is it a superstition or is it something more real? And he was asked if he believed in God, and he said, I don't know, but I would describe myself at the sceptical end of agnosticism. I certainly wouldn't classify myself as religious. Then Henry said that he starts by silently reciting the Lord's Prayer and then asks for his loved ones to be kept safe and well. He said he had no idea if God heard his prayers, and the act of praying didn't make him feel better. He also said... I wonder why I don't stop doing it. Sometimes I feel it's a kind of hypocrisy. In a way, I think prayer comes naturally, even to people that wouldn't call themselves Christians. There's a longing for humanity to share their burdens, to make sense of situations, and to plead for change and for help by connecting with something higher. But at the same time, <laughs> prayer can feel like a struggle the thing that so easily falls off the end of the to-do list, something that's maybe not a priority amongst the busyness of everyday life. And my big question tonight is, I wonder how would that change if we understood more about who we're praying to? How would our prayer lives change if we understood more about who we are praying to? Now, I don't know that I agree with Henry that he's a hypocrite, I just don't know that he knows who he's praying to. Like that personal relationship with Jesus isn't there. So who are we praying to? How can that help our prayer life if we acknowledge who we're directing our prayers to? Well, we're praying to a God who knows us and who loves us and who wants to bring about joy and peace in our lives. We're praying to a God who is powerful and wants to bring about justice and hope in our world. And we're praying to a God who created humanity and wants people to be drawn into relationship with him. And that's why the Lord's Prayer, this prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray from our passage, that's why it starts with praise. 
because we want to acknowledge who God is. If we've recognized the power and the goodness and the faithfulness of God in our praise, how much bigger are our prayers going to be? Surely we'll pray bigger prayers. If we know how powerful he is, we'll pray bigger prayers. If we know how much God loves us, surely we're more likely to let him in to the darker places in our lives. Our praise puts God where God should be, and that magnifies and that accelerates our prayer life as we remember the character of God. As Jesus says those words, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He's putting God where God should be. And Paul, way later in Philippians, echoes this. He writes, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. With thanksgiving, present your requests with thanksgiving, with praise, with worship. Our thanksgiving and our praise isn't part of the prayer. It's actually the vehicle of how we pray. It's where we pray from. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Those two lines feel quite different. Our Father in heaven, that's so intimate. Hallowed be your name is so wonder, it's so full of wonder and so full of awe for who God is. The prayer for God's name to be hallowed is for God's name to be recognized and exalted. It's a prayer for our own lives, but actually it's a prayer for the whole world, that God's name would be known and treated as holy. And the context of Jesus teaching this prayer, he's teaching it to a group of people whose land is being ruled by the Romans, and they don't recognize God's name. So Jesus is saying, we need to pray, God, do something and make people know who you are and change these situations. But praying that we would hallow God's name in our own lives is a dangerous prayer. It means other stuff has to be kicked out for God to be recognized as God. Stuff that we've given a God status to has to go. And so we're praying it over ourselves, but over our nation and over our world that God would be known as God as creator, as mighty, as powerful, as the reason that we live and the reason that we breathe. That sometimes doesn't seem to fit with the bit about God being our father, but actually I think it fits in the most beautiful way ever. It's like two opposites that are so beautifully balanced. That's who we're able to call Father, that powerful, mighty creator. Jesus is really the only one worthy of calling God Father, but he's inviting us to do the same. And this would have really surprised the people that Jesus is talking to. It's a pretty intimate way to address God. It's this sign of deep intimacy and close relationship, and it gives us this privileged position to pray from a position that is children of God. We are children of God and we are called to be childlike. And that's why Jesus tells us that what we need isn't more eloquence. And that's a really good thing for me. I don't know about you. But we don't need more eloquence. He makes it pretty clear when he says, don't babble on. 
Don't babble on like pagans, for they, will, they think they will be heard because of their many words. He warns us not to be hypocrites who pray for recognition. Secret life. Jesus is interested in. Rather than elaborate, performative prayers, what Jesus is asking for is a simplicity, an authenticity that occurs in a close relationship. I want you to kind of check in with yourself and ask yourself how you feel about this. Does it take the pressure off? To some, I think this is definitely a comfort that Jesus wants sincerity. I think it's a comfort for lots of people. And it should be. But as I was praying this week, I just felt like for others, perhaps that call to pray prayers that are stripped of formalities and instead are honest and simple, actually that feels quite scary. It feels vulnerable and we can feel exposed and raw. But God sees our hearts. And as Jesus says in verse 8, God already knows what we need before we ask. People might say, why bother praying then if God already knows? It's a valid question. But I don't think that's a reason not to pray because prayer is not to inform God. It's true, he already knows what you're going to ask before you ask. God is after a relationship, and that's about communication and time. And we know that from our earthly relationships too. I actually believe that God knowing what we're going to pray before we pray is actually a huge reason to pray. It's a reason to pray honestly because he already knows to inform, but we're praying to be with God and, and spend time in his presence. Once we know who God is and who we are in relation to him as his children, we're able to lean in and pray big prayers, like the rest of the Lord's Prayer, for his kingdom to come, for our daily bread, for forgiveness, for help to forgive others. They're like our requests that we're presenting, like Paul puts it. We can pray those big prayers and we can believe that God is capable of doing it. But I do think there are a few barriers, aren't there? There are some questions that come up around prayer time and time again. No, long, no matter how long we've been walking with Jesus, I think these kind of still come up. How can I request anything from God? How can tiny old me request anything from God? Why do I need to ask God to change the world and to change the hearts of people if he can do that anyway? Why do I even need to ask? Do my prayers really change anything? Or am I just here for the sake of it? Now, Pete Gregg gives this helpful analogy. I use it all the time. But it's really helpful to understand the position that we are given in prayer to our Father. It's from his book, Dirty Glory, if you've read that. Let me just read this uh, section to you. Imagine that the president or prime minister calls your mobile phone tomorrow. As you recover from the shock, he calmly explains that in the interests of greater democracy, the government has decided to include the opinions of an ordinary representative citizen in certain important decisions relating to national security. A powerful computer has chosen your name at random 
from a list of the entire, I tried to say this word earlier, I even Googled it, electorate, is that right? Thanks, thanks Dave. See, Jesus doesn't mind that I'm not eloquent. That's a good thing. He therefore asks if you would be willing to come and sit with his executive to share your unique thoughts, your insights, and opinions on behalf of the people. I'm pretty sure that although you might be nervous, you would find the time. In fact, you would cancel anything to attend. It would be one of the greatest honors of your life. As a Christian, you have received an even greater invitation. The King of Kings requests your presence at the very seat of government. He offers you a place on his executive so that you too, that you can influence his actions on behalf of the people. It is an unspeakable honor, and yet we are often too busy or too disbelieving to accept the invitation. The Bible is clear that our opinions and choices really can shape history, that our prayers really do make a difference in the world. And our prayers really do make a difference. And stories in the Bible prove it, like the Israelites advancing every time Moses raises his hands in prayer. There are also stories in this room that tell of the ways that prayer has turned situations upside down. However, there are also stories in the Bible and in this room where we haven't seen prayers answered. And so we can't avoid the challenge of unanswered prayer. There are prayers we can pray that God doesn't answer in the way that we want. And actually, some of the time, that's a really good thing. My life would look pretty different if God said yes to all the things I've ever prayed. But the things that are definitely what God's heart is for, like healing and peace and justice, why doesn't that get answered? Why isn't that person being healed? Why is there injustice here? Why is there still suffering there? I hope you didn't come for an answer, because I don't know. I don't know the answer, but what I'm going to choose to do and what I think we should choose to do is to hold on to Paul's words from Romans 8 that says, in all things God works for the good of those who love him. I'm going to hold on to that through the unanswered prayer, through the answered prayer. I'm going to hold on that God's working for the good of those who love him. And through unanswered prayer, we also hold on to the promise of heaven where those prayers of healing and prayers for justice, they are going to be answered because heaven is where all pain goes. These words from Revelation uh, put it perfectly. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The pain of unanswered prayer will scatter as we approach God in the eternal life that he is preparing for us. What I'm not saying is that that makes now easy. It doesn't. But we want to live out the words of Romans 12, 12, to be joyful in hope, to be patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer, to be joyful in hope for the future, to be patient in affliction now, and to be faithful in prayer 
always. In our passage, Jesus instructs us to go into our room and pray. Now, in my time of research, apparently the Greek word for room means storeroom. Like in this passage, the translation is more of a storeroom uh, where people's treasures and where their important things would have been kept. And I just think that's so beautiful because that's what's waiting for us as we remember that we're in the presence of God, a God who loves us and knows us. It's treasure that is waiting for us as we go into that room as we shut the door, as we carve out time, and as we sit with God, it's treasure that we experience. Treasure is what we experience as the peace of Jesus is poured out when we pray, and as that peace allows us to be still. Treasure is what we experience as the forgiveness that we're given through Jesus' death on the cross allows us to be free from sin. It's treasure. Treasure is what we experience as we forgive those who've hurt us, as our hearts are transformed by the grace of God in prayer. And treasure is what we experience as we see God's kingdom come, as we see God's kingdom come on earth, as we pray and as we petition with thanksgiving being our vehicle to pray. Jesus teaches us not to show off in prayer, to avoid hypocrisy. He's also teaching us not to shut off when prayers go unanswered, but to persist and to have hope. So instead of showing off or shutting off, I think Jesus just wants us to show up. (laughs) Instead of shutting off or showing off, he wants us to show up to be there. That's how you experience the treasure, is to show up and be there. He wants us to show up to experience the power that prayer has in our hearts. It changes us and in our world, which it also changes. And through Jesus' instruction on prayer, we also see that prayer is an hour thing. In the Lord's Prayer, um, it says hour the whole way through. It's not a me thing, it's an our thing. So it's important that prayer is done knowing that we are in a family of believers who are going after God together, persisting in prayer together for each other and for our world. And we're actually going to model that this evening. Really, that's kind of why we're here every week. Um, But we're going to model it this evening in a second uh, by praying and by praising and by being with our Father together. How does knowing who you're praying to change your prayer life? How can it change your prayer life? Maybe we need to think a little bit more about who we're praying to. Maybe that's a good way to start your prayers. Maybe God wants to teach you about just sitting in his presence and not babbling on and feeling like you have to fill gaps, but just being still. I'm going to pray, um, and then Anya is going to lead us in a time of prayer. God, you are so good, and you are so kind, and you are so faithful.
God, I pray that you'd be with us in unanswered prayer. We don't know why things don't happen sometimes, why you don't change situations in the ways we might expect. But God, we thank you that you are with us anyway. We thank you for where we've seen you act and move. And we pray that we would see your kingdom come more and more. Thank you for using us to bring your kingdom here. And I pray that we would walk out of here with the knowledge um, of how wonderful you are and how you can use us to bring your kingdom. Amen.